In this episode of Here's the Deal, I had the unbelievable opportunity to sit down with Dr. Lane Norton. Lane is someone who I've worked with for several years. I respect him. I look up to him and I find him to be a huge resource for myself and everybody in the nutrition space. We talked about how we got to where he is. We talked about mental health when it comes to competing. We talked about how he juggles running a business, being a father, being a husband, and all of those things. I also asked him what keeps him going because I know it's frustrating sometimes when you're trying to spread the good word, but nobody is listening. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. It was a true pleasure. Enjoy listening. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, I am more excited than normal because I am talking to someone who I respect, I look up to, someone I have learned so much from, Dr. Lane Norton. Thank you so much for being here today. Sure. Thank you, Kylie. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So as we dive in, let me, let me tell you all um, how, I, how I know Lane. Most of you all I hope you know him from social media. Please tell me you're following him. And honestly, Lane, I don't know how I, I know I found you on social media, but I don't know how it was literally like three years ago, at least. And I applied for your coaching and I've been working with you in that coaching since that time. And the reason I'm so grateful for you is because I didn't know anybody who was doing what you were doing with the reverse dieting, which we'll dive mm-hmm. into a little bit later. Yeah. Um, so that's how I know Lane. And I do, he is one of the people I respect and look up to on social media so much. Like, I feel like you just give the truth. I, I try to give it as, as best I can based on my most uh, honest interpretations of the data. So yeah. I'm not going to say I never get anything wrong, mm-hmm. but I try to get it as right as I possibly can with as minimal agenda as possible. So how did you get here? Like, what brought you to this point? Have you always been in fitness and nutrition and coaching? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, There's a really long answer to that and a little bit shorter. I'll try to keep it a little bit shorter. Um, So I started lifting weights when I was about 14 years old and then kind of toyed with it on and off for a few years. And that was more so to uh, just very selfish reasons, stop getting bullied, get attention from girls, that sort of thing. Uh, funny enough, didn't work for either of those two things, but, um, it, it did, uh, I, about age 17, I, I really picked it up and stuck with it and have stuck with it ever since. So I guess going on 21 years consecutively now of consistently lifting weights. Um, I was a baseball player in high school. And then when that was over, I was kind of looking for something to, you know, wet my competitive appetite. So as I went to college, my roommate, my freshman year was also into bodybuilding. And I thought that, you know, bodybuilding sounds like a, something to go for. Um, did my first show, got hooked. Um, and then as I was, I was always, you know, you'd read one magazine, it would say one thing. And back in the back, back then, you know, I'm dating myself circa 2001, 2002. Um, you know, there, there really wasn't the internet community we have now. Um, and all we had, actually, the only thing we had was, uh, bodybuilding message boards. And that's kind of where I started was on the bodybuilding.com message boards. And, but other than that, it was just, you read the magazines, right? So you read flux magazine, muscle and fitness, whatever else you got. Um, 
And one magazine would say one thing, one would say the other thing. And even in the same magazine, it would contradict itself. And it was just, you know, I, I was, I wanted to find, you know, the truth. And um, <clears throat> so I kind of, not out of frustration, but more so just genuine curiosity, uh, wanted to learn more. And the more I learned, the less I felt like I knew. So I, as I, I originally wanted to go to school for marine biology. I wanted to be a shark biologist, actually. I love sharks. Um, and then as I got into bodybuilding, I realized, oh, maybe I kind of love this thing more. And um, so I decided, <clears throat> pardon me, I decided um, to change my major. I went to biochemistry uh, because I thought, you know, getting a fundamental um, kind of background of human of human metabolism would be helpful. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of getting a job or anything like that. I, I think part of the reason I went to grad school was just to delay the real world for a few more years. Um, so I didn't have to make a decision, but during my undergrad, I competed a few times, uh, did bi did my research or did my uh, undergrad degree in biochemistry did some research during the summer for the organic chemistry professor there named Dr. David Grove. Um, decided that I wanted to go to grad school. So I started reaching out to different grad schools that were um, specifically professors who were studying what I was interested in, which was uh, muscle protein synthesis uh, and, you know, building muscle <laughs> through nutrition. I was, I was more interested in the nutrition portion than I was in the training portion. <coughs> Pardon me. I know that's very triggering for some people right now. I've just got a little tickle. Um, sorry. Um, so I, I got accepted to the University of Illinois with, uh, in Don Lehman's lab. And uh, really, again, shortening this up as much as I can. Uh, went through a six-year process to get my PhD. Uh, that was very involved. That was gut-wrenching. One of the hard, most difficult things I've ever done. Um, but probably like one of the things I'm most proud of because it was so hard. Um, and because I learned so much, just an incredible amount also realized how much I didn't know. Um, and I think a lot of people online, they think I'm arrogant sometimes because of the way I kind of go after people who make claims And that actually, it, it may seem weird. It's not coming from a place of arrogance. It's coming from a place of, I know how little I know. And you want to tell me that you figured out something that the top scientists in the world couldn't figure out and you did it from your couch. Come on. Yeah. So that that's kind of like a lot of those interactions I have. That's actually from knowing how much I studied and how little I still know. Yeah. And seeing the cognitive dissonance. So, um, so did that, then did some shit in powerlifting, more bodybuilding, you know, um, and during, I guess, going back to the business aspect of things, um, my second year in grad school was 2005. Um, I was writing for, I'd been writing for bodybuilding.com for about three years and was getting a lot of emails. And up to that point, I had done programs for people, nutrition for people, um, never charged just cause I enjoyed doing it. But as I got into grad school, I thought, man, it's taking up a lot of my time. Um, so I just, started kind of saying, Hey, would you be okay with paying some money for this? And that's literally how coaching started for me. It wow. was just, 
I think I originally started out charging people $10 a week. I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> before I was doing it for free. <laughs> so it's funny when, you know, people will, if people don't know my backstory and people who I think because we live in the information age, people kind of look at information and go, well, why would I pay you for that? Right. Oh. Um, and I say, well, yeah, you can certainly, I mean, even my books, right? Like you can find all that information. It's all in my videos and mm-hmm. for the most part, but this is it condensed. You, you cut down on your time, you know, and you cut through the, the bullshit. Yeah. Um, so that's why I, I tell people, like, oh, you want to go find it on your own? I mean, good luck. Uh, I go for it. You know? Yeah, it's going to take you longer. Right, exactly. That's like, uh, I always use the comparison. I, I love to fish. Um, that's one of my passions. Um, when I moved here to Tampa, I, I hired a guide. Um, I've hired several guides to take me out and show me not just spots, but their techniques and whatnot, because I could screw around for weeks and months trying to figure out how to do this, or I could just hire a professional who knows what to do, pay more on the front end, but save myself a hell of a lot of time and effort. And I love the, the saying, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, wait till you hire an amateur. Now, and, and there should be a caveat to that or try to do it yourself. Okay. Yes. Like people say, sure, I, like, for example, I could change my own oil, right? My car. Sure. But why would I do that when I can pay somebody a reasonable sum of money, they can do it faster, better than I can do it. And it's going to have less screw ups. Right. Yeah. So anyways, um, got into coaching that way. Uh, and I always tell people, you know, for as much as I charge, uh, I don't really do much coaching anymore. Um, for as much as I charge for my coaching, you're not paying for right now. You're paying for the, the years of me getting paid, you know, five bucks an hour for my right. coaching basically. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you should, I tell people, you should have got me back then. Right. You, know? you should have got me back then. Um, so anyways, um, I started doing that by the time I was ready to graduate um, with my PhD in 2010, uh, that had grown into a full-time business. And then um, I just kind of expanded that. And then the last few years have obviously like now we have a kind of a team of coaches that work under Holly and I. Um, and then uh, we've got our books. Um, we have an app that's going to be coming out um, probably in April. So um, I guess. Yeah. So it's going to be a nutrition coaching app, $9.99 a month. It's not, you know, you're never going to replace that one-on-one uh, coaching uh need. But however, for people who can't afford, you know, spending hundreds of dollars a month on a coach, this is a great option. Uh, or for people who say, you know what, I feel like I got most of it nailed down. I just really need a little bit of guidance. Another great, great option for people. So we're really pumped about that. And then, you know, all the other stuff we got going on, but that's kind of, that's kind of how it got brought to here was, you know, just literally business wise was just sitting down one day saying, Oh, I guess I could charge people for the yeah. stuff I'm already doing. And that's kind of how it started. I like what, uh, I follow a financial guy named Dave Ramsey and I of really course. like him. Um, he said, you know what, if you, if, if you're really good at what you do and you love it, the chances are you did it for free at some point. And I found that to be very true. Absolutely. So, okay. 2010 is when you were done with your PhD. Yeah. That was a six year process. 
Yeah. So um, I started from a bachelor. So a lot of people, when they start a PhD process, they, some schools require that you have a master's first and from a master's, it's typically a four year process. Um, but I just kind of decided that I wanted to do, if I was in for a dime, I was in for a dollar. So I decided I, I wanted to do that. Um, and yeah, I just decided to, to, to go for it. So it was a longer process. Now there's nothing that says it has to be six years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a list of steps you have to get done. So for us, um, the process was, and I'm, I'm drawing on memory, but the first, the, your first hurdle was one getting accepted, obviously it's a very competitive program. Um, the second hurdle was you had to do a qualifying exam. Now your qualifying exam was a three hour exam, oral exam in front of four professors where they literally could ask you anything in the realm of nutrition and metabolism. Oh my gosh. It was, it was very intimidating to study for. Um, I was fortunate enough to do really, really well at that. Um, and then you have your prelim exam, which is usually around year three or four. Um, you're presenting what you've found thus far in your research, and then you're proposing the last half of your research. And a lot of people fail that as well. Um, or I won't, I won't say fail that, but they, they have to give it again because there were so many things wrong with it. I was fortunate enough that um, that went well for me as well. Um, the, what I encountered was the hard part was just getting the research to, to go, just learning the lab techniques and getting them to work. So we measure, we, our primary outcome measurement uh, in our studies was muscle protein synthesis. That's a very involved, very difficult measure to do. Uh, and it took us almost a year just to get it to work. So just to get it to the point where we could actually run studies and be confident in our results. So it wasn't about, oh, hey, walk in, well, you know, order some animals, throw them on some diets, and then we'll test them. No, just to get to the point where we could do the measurement, where we could then start the research, it was a year. So, and then obviously you had your classes. I think it was like 96 credit hours is what you kind of had to do um, in total, including like advanced courses, like, um, you know, advanced metabolism and all those sorts of things. Did really well in the courses. I think my, I think my, I want to say my GPA was like 3.8 or something like that. But the, the courses weren't the hard part. The, the research was the hard part. And then you had to, I believe you had to publish, be primary author on two scientific publications. And then a, and then a secondary author on two, or you could be primary on three. And then you didn't need any others. And then, which I, I believe I was, I think I was two and two, I think is what I was. Okay. And then uh, you have your exit seminar and then you have your, uh, which is there's a public and private. Uh, The public one is obviously public as I talked about. And then your, your private defense is in front of your thesis committee. So that's kind of all the, that's a five minute rundown of the gamut you've got to go through. But a lot of people fail at multiple steps of those and I mean, you have people who it takes them 10 years to finish a PhD because, you know, if you, if your research doesn't work or you don't get the, you know, you know, it doesn't fit well with the story. I mean, story you're yeah. trying to tell, you just go back and do it again. You know? So if it taken us three years to get the muscle protein synthesis measure to work, I, I, I know people who it took them 10 years to get their PhD, you know? So, um, but six is what it took me. And that's about average when you go from a bachelor straight to a PhD. So were you competing at that time while you were getting your PhD? Uh, I did 
I did one series of shows in 2006 and then decided that I was never doing that again until I was finished. Um, and it, it did hamper me quite a bit in, in my research in terms of just, um, you know, just time. You just don't, it's just very hard to have the time I was running and I was also doing my business at that time, not on a big scale, but on a small scale, but it was like, wake up, go to the lab, get some stuff done. Um, answer a few emails while an assay is going, then hop on over to the gym across the, the campus gym across the street. Thankfully it was across the street. Yeah. Um, bang out a quick workout, go back, finish your assay, then go do some cardio or something like that. By the time I got home, it'd be, you know, six, 7 PM. And I have to be getting ready to, then I'd have to do emails, cook, get ready to get up and do it all again the next day, you know? And, and that was my life, but that was fine because, you know, I didn't have any money to go out and do anything fun anyway. So it was right. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so in this space, so there's a couple of people that I trust and respect. Who do you respect and trust in our space? I always tell people, just go see who I follow on Twitter and Instagram. And then yeah. there you go. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a few people. Um, I'm, I'm going to miss some people. So I apologize in advance, but you know, my friend, Bill Campbell, he's a professor at USF. That's somebody I trust. Obviously my PhD advisor, Don Lehman is someone I trust. Um, as far as people like specifically in the fitness space, you know, um, uh, Brad Schoenfeld is mm -hmm. fabulous. Uh, my whole team is great. So obviously, you know, the people I employ, I'm not going to employ uh, yeah. people I don't trust. Um, the, you know, Spencer Nadolsky, another one that's great. Uh, Sohi Lee, um, James Krieger, those, the Greg Knuckles does great stuff. Eric Trexler, Greg, Greg and Eric are, are doing some of the best stuff out there. Um, yeah, all, all those people do really, really great work. And I'm, I'm leaving out a ton of people, I'm sure. Uh, but those are some, kind of some of the names that just spring to mind. Mike Israetel, another one. Um, Minnow Henselmans. Yeah, the, the, it's kind of the, we have disagreements amongst our evidence-based group um, from time to time. But most of us are, are understand that we don't think the other person's necessarily like lying or purposely misrepresenting data. Um, you know, it's more so just, difference of opinion yeah um, another good one would be uh eric helms eric helms oh, yeah. one. um you know those are all uh really really uh great people to to follow if you're if you're looking for no bs do you feel that there's a shift in like people who do actually know what they're talking about and they're spreading good information or is it still extremely watered down what do you feel the climate is um you know, people ask me this all the time. They're like, oh, is it worse now than ever? Or is it better than ever? I think in general, it's better than it was 10, 15, 10 to 15 years ago. And here's why, you know, 10, 15 years ago, all you really had was magazines. Yeah. Um, you didn't really have, you know, you have some message boards here and there. Um, but yeah, you didn't really have the, the access to really good information. Now you have that access. The, the problem is, is you've got to weed through a whole shitload of really, really bad information. And there are some people out there who's, I am convinced that if you just say enough asinine stuff loudly enough, there are people who will start following you. It, it's actually kind of incredible to me. 
some of the things I've seen. I mean, probably the, one of the craziest things I ever saw was the guy saying that egg whites made you fat. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you can't even make this shit up. Um, and this guy had like 25,000 followers. And I'm just oh. like, are you all devoid of a brain or what? Like, how does this work? So, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think one of the best skills I, I've found from people is, um, and I, I use this, is, is kind of learning who to follow. Because if you're not going to be an expert yourself, you've kind of got to know who to follow. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's actually helped me in other like areas is knowing what sets my bullshit detector off when it comes to nutrition and exercise science. And I can take those. And so one, you know, some of the things I like to do, you know, fishing and uh, competition pistol shooting is another uh, thing I, I enjoy as a hobby. Well, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there, for example, in the, in the gun community and uh, in the competitive pistol shooting community. Why well, I, I can, I can usually tell who's full of crap and who's not by, the kind of verbiage they use. You know, people who say, you know, only, never, best, worst, you know, that sort of language. Um, I usually, my BS detector starts going off. You know, if they're, if they're a hammer and everything is a nail, that's a big red flag for me. Right. Um, people who I, I tend to trust are people who like always provide context. You know, it's never just a simple answer to a question. There's usually a lot of context given. and They usually actually seem kind of unsure and they'll say, you know, something like, well, this might make sense in this situation, but there's also relevance for this. And, you know, there's some things we aren't sure about, you know, that is usually the mark of somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. The person who's, um, uh, there's a quote by Bertrand Russell and it it's, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, um, the problem with this world is that only fools and zealots are sure of themselves while wise people are filled with doubts. And so that's one of the problems is, especially with people who, who can speak well, um, you know, they can garner a large following because they seem so confident and they speak so well. We even elect our officials this way. They're like, well, we just, they speak really well. Oh, I don't, that doesn't mean they know what they're doing. You know, so it's, um, I, I've kind of used that, that as a way to learn BS and in, in other areas of, of, you know, that I could, of information I consume, yeah. but any of those people that you follow, you'll see largely the same thing. They, they don't have, you know, there's no uh, idols. There's no um, dogma. It's just, here's the information as best we understand it. And uh, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So when it comes to competing, do you think that you can stay mentally healthy and compete? I like Eric Helms's example of, I think, I think you can be healthier than somebody else who's doing it poorly. Yeah. I'm not sure you're going to be a rational human being during prep yeah. at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Uh, prep is circling the drain. You can do things to slow down, you're circling descent into the drain. You can slow it down. You can, you can make it a little bit more tolerable, but at a certain point, everybody's going down the drain. Um, it's just, you're even like your perception of yourself. Um, everybody, everybody gets crazy at a certain point. Yeah. Now 
Now your crazy may still be, you can go out and interact with human beings crazy, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, even me, like by the end, I had such a skewed perception of my own self image, you know, yeah. like, um, uh, yeah. And I, I like, you know, my, my wife as well, like, you know, she's been beaten up on herself recently about her current body. And, uh, I'm like, you, babe, you realize you have a body that like 99% of women would still like slay like children for, you know what I mean? Tell her to call me and I will build her up. I'm always like showing my husband, see Patrick, this is Holly. This is Holly. Do you see her? (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's, um, but it's tough because it's all, you know, it's all in our own minds. So, but, and I've, I've been there before, so I do understand that. So I think that, you know, really, um, one of the best ways to stay healthy is to stay grounded, realize that this is a transient event. Try not to let it, you know, while you're in prep, try to be as normal as possible. (laughs) Keep that mindfulness. Like, um, I would purposely try to make myself go out and do stuff, even though I didn't feel like doing shit, um, you know, and be a normal human being. And then, you know, try not to tie my entire identity to prep life, right? I think one of the things I've actually done a pretty good job of doing is, okay, I'm not just a powerlifter or a bodybuilder or a scientist. I'm a bunch of different things. And that way, you know, if, if, if something's, cause it's hard, like if you're, if your identity is one thing and then that area of your life is not going well, you're struggling, you feel like your just your entire life is failing. Yeah. So I really, um, I really encourage people like make sure you have something else Yeah. and don't like, don't just like turn your Instagram feed into just, you know, physique Ugh. pictures all the time. Not that, the, not that there's anything wrong with that, but when that physique goes, you're going to have a hard time reconciling that with your, in your, in your own self. So that's kind of why I tell people, you know, make sure that you're, you're not just tying your identity to one thing. And that, and that goes for anything, right? Like yes. if I was a scientist and I hadn't published a relevant paper in a while and, you know, I'm, I might be like really depressed about my own, you know, science stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to, to be multifaceted. Well, and you know, this is so cool. I did have an idea that you liked fishing, fly fishing, fly fishing, right? No, I've actually never fly fished. What, what um, kind of fishing do you like? Uh, I, any kind that gets me out in the ocean. Okay. Yeah. So this is cool. Like people need to have hobbies in order to like stay mentally healthy balance yeah. what was your other hobby oh pew pew shooting things yeah the pew pew life yeah, <laughs> yeah. shooting shooting paper and steel yes. no, no no live uh no, no live beings i uh i don't have any problem with hunting uh, i just i it's not for me but um yeah i love uh competition pistol shooting defensive pistol shooting um it's a lot of fun for me it's kind That's of it's one of the only times where I that that fishing and lifting weights are where I'm kind of zen. Yeah, I love that. Um, whenever I'm talking to my clients and I talk a lot about stress management, I'm like, what are you doing besides working out, like for yeah. yourself? Because you can't just work out all the time. I mean, do something fun besides that. Yeah, I mean, it it, <laughs> it is like a stress reducer for sure. But again, it's just one thing and it's not always going to go well. And it can actually be a, like for people who take this stuff serious, it can actually cause quite a bit of stress. And for me, when it starts bordering onto where it's part of my livelihood, part of my job, you know, people, uh, there's a, uh, I remember there's a, a song out 
years ago by Cypress Hill called Rock Superstar. And there's a monologue in the song where the guy goes, you know, it's a fun job, but it's still a job, you know? And that's the same thing here. Like people, I was doing a, um, I think a live the other day and somebody, I forget how I got kind of on the tangent, but I was like, you know, you guys got to understand, like, I, I, yes, I like interacting with you guys. I enjoy putting up content on social media and whatnot, but it's still a job for me. Okay. Like I don't, I, I would much rather be spending that time doing stuff I really enjoy, you know, but I understand I have to provide you value so that then I can hopefully capture some of your dollars and earn a living. It's, you know, it's a fun job, but it's still a job. Right. And so when the gym is part of that job, um, it can start to, to grind you down a little bit. So I think it is important to have things outside of that. And, you know, it's like, when I go to, when I go to fitness expos and, and that sort of stuff, I'm, I'm geared up. I'm ready. I'm going to talk about nutrition. I'm going to talk about bodybuilding. I'm going to talk about powerlifting. That's cool. Got no problem with that. But sometimes I'll like meet people out in a, in a different setting and they start talking my earth about nutrition. I'll be like, Oh man, can we talk about something else? You know, <laughs> it's like, can we talk about something else? <laughs> Totally. I know I had, I had an episode. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of more of an introvert and cause I feel one of the reasons anytime I go anywhere, people want to, Oh, Kylie, don't look at my plate. I don't care what you're eating. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I tell people, I'm like, I'm the least judgmental person about the, the only time I'm going to judge you is if you're complaining about something and not doing anything about it, then I'm going to judge you. Absolutely. Okay. But Hey, like I told people I, I'm, you know, I'm a very, laissez-faire, you know, if right down to, if you're obese and you're happy with how you are, I got no problems with that. It's not my job to judge your lifestyle choice and what makes you happy. Right. But if you're overweight or obese or out of shape or whatever, and you're complaining about it, but you're slamming back, you know, a bunch of calories on your plate, making really poor choices. I might not say anything, but I'm probably going to judge you in my head. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's, it's, I kind of live by a rule and that's, I'm not allowed to complain about anything that I'm not actively working to try to improve. Oh, that's a good rule. I love it. So in addition to, we clearly know that you are now this multifaceted person who knew you're also a father. You, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur, a CEO, like, cause you run your business. What, what are you, how do you classify yourself there? Oh, I think I'm just a science geek who, was lucky enough to figure out a way to make money off this stuff. Yeah. I, I would not say I'm like a, a business savant or anything like that. I actually need to do a lot of work in terms of um, my business acumen. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it speaks to um, that providing um, when you provide value to people, I think, and you have a platform, I think you'll be able to make money. You know, I, I think when you can provide something of value. So I mean, again, listen, I always tell people, I'm not going to BS you. Of course, I want to make money. I want to make lots of money, but I want to do that by providing a ton of value. And hopefully, if I provide things that you all really, really like, you'll be willing to part with some of your hard-earned dollars for me. And I think that that's actually one of the biggest compliments I can get. So yes, I want to make money, but I primarily, I want to do that through providing value. Well, and also if for anyone who's listening and struggles with that, like 
you deserve to make money. We need to make money so we can pay our employees. And that's what makes the world go around, right? I tell people, I'm like, you know who gets paid last in my company? Me. Yeah. I get paid last. Okay. I have, I haven't, I'm not taking a paycheck this month, especially with everything that's going on. I want to make sure my employees get paid. I don't want to lay off or cut anybody's salaries or anything like that. You know, like obviously, you know, it is a business and if, if hard decisions happen, they have to happen, but we're, you know, we're okay. We're in a good position. Our business doesn't operate on, on debt or anything like that. So, um, I think we'll be okay, but it is kind of scary to look down, uh, what's going on and, and see how, you know, we've had a pretty big dip already, but we're pivoting. We're coming up with different strategies to hopefully provide value to people during this time. And, and, you know, hopefully that will, um, that will, that will get us through. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It's, you know, people, people look at the business owner and they go, Oh, well, look how much they're selling and, and, and you look what they're doing and this. Yeah. But they also took on all the risk, you know, <laughs> like yeah. they took on all the risk. So it's um, again, it's like, you know, when, when, when I sit, when people start, you know, complaining about how much an owner, you know, makes or these things get reported in the media or whatever, I'm like, all right, you weren't there at the beginning. You didn't put in the risk. Who knows how much money, who knows how much time, who knows what they sacrificed, who knows like how many nights they were up and didn't sleep because they were, you know, and how many, like, here's the other thing nobody talks about, how many failures and gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, just soul-sucking failures they had that left them in tears before they finally got there. Because I've been there. I've been there. Well, and you know, I, I didn't know. So one of the things I've wanted to ask you is I can only understand, I can only imagine how frustrating you must feel sometimes. And I see you, like I follow you on Twitter and all the places. So I see the conversations that you have and like, surely sometimes you want to quit, right? Cause you're like, these people aren't getting it or so how yeah. do you not quit? What keeps you going? Yeah. So I, one of my rules is I, sure. I get frustrated like any human being, right? Like I, yes, I have moments where I want to quit. I have moments where I want to quit training and just be like, Oh, fuck it. You know, but um, I always say, you know, I don't make long-term decisions based on short-term feelings. You know, I, I don't, I don't do that. You know, it's like, okay, I have had a passion for this consistently for the last 20 years. So just because I had a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, that is not going to change how I, how I continue to do things. Now, if we start having bad years stacked together, then maybe we need to talk about, you know, starting up a fishing charter company or something like that. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, if, if it's just a, a momentary frustration, okay, well, let's, let's digest that, absorb that, let it pass. And then let's just keep chugging. Absolutely. That's cool. I mean, yeah, it's, it's frustrating sometimes, isn't it? Oh, it's incredibly frustrating. And yeah, like I said, like I, I tell people, um, people ask me like, how are you always so motivated? I'm like, I am not always motivated. You're out of your mind. Like I, I, I have the feelings that most people have about being frustrated, wanting to quit. That's I'm sh- I, I, you know, I don't have data on this, but I'm very sure that I have those a similar amount of times that most people have them. The difference is I talk myself through that. And I, I, you know, I say, okay, well, I don't, I don't really want to quit. I'm just frustrated right now in this moment. If I'm frustrated with people online or, or feeling like I'm not, it's because I'm feeling like I'm not making a difference, yeah. right? 
Like that's, that's what gets me frustrated. Well, I know that's not true. Um, right. And I'm able to, to draw on that. And when it comes to lifting weights and whatnot, like I, I've had a few really crappy training months recently and it's kind of like, okay, you know, you start getting the doubt seeping in. Oh, maybe you'll never be as strong as you once were. Or maybe you'll never, you know, hit another PR or something like that. But it's like, okay, well, maybe that's true, but I don't know unless I actually do the work and try. And I don't want to quit. I want to keep going. I just, you know, it's like, it's kind of like scary for people if they gave it everything they had and didn't get to what they wanted. Whereas it's like, it's people, it's like self-sabotage. People go, you know, well, if I don't give it everything I have and I don't get it, then at least I can say, well, I didn't give it everything I had. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think the scariest thing is that if people actually gave it everything they had and then, and then felt like they failed, that, that's really tough. But for me, I just don't want to look back in my life and go, well, Lane, you could have gave it everything you had, but you didn't. So you're never going to know. That's so true. I know I've, I'm kind of morbid when I joke about things. And so with this, I keep calling it Armageddon. And I'm like, you know what though? I'm good with the way things turned out. I'm really happy with what I've created and where I'm at. So if it's Armageddon, yeah. it's Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I like what Steve Jobs kind of said about failure and, and you know, pursuing goals. And that's what he said. Um, you know, the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is going to happen to you 100%. You're going to die. So you're, al- you're basically, you're already naked. You might as well give it everything you got to get what you actually want. And that's kind of how I've tried to go through life. But it is, I mean, it is frustrating. Sometimes I go, man, it would just be easier to have a regular old job, go get a paycheck and then have all the time after that to do whatever I wanted. And then I realized that, that would be fun for a couple of weeks and then I'd get really tired of it. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? What would you even do? I don't know. I know, right? No idea. I've worked for myself since I was an adult. I mean, I've yeah. only ever had kid jobs other than that. You know, like I worked at a McDonald's and I worked mm-hmm. at a play it against sports. And then I worked in the chemistry stockroom in, in undergrad school. So I've never had an actual like real job other than what I do now. You are a wild animal. We cannot put you in a cage of nine to five. <laughs> yeah. That's probably what it'd feel like for me. <laughs> so in addition, so with all the roles that you play, how do you, how do you, I, I don't like using the word balance, but how do you juggle it all with boundaries, et cetera, time for yourself? What does that look yeah. like for you? I feel like I've gotten better with that over the years. Um, so I have, I have two kids from my previous marriage and uh, I get them uh, week on week off. So I have a week off and usually the week off is like a sprint with business, <laughs> trying to get as much stuff in as I can. And then I have tried to get better about, okay, you know, when we, we have an office now. Um, so when we come home from the office, it's like, all right, work is done. Now it's time with, you know, family, wife, um, you know, we're not always great at that, but we try to, um, I, I also, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough. I make a good income. I have a great nanny, uh, and she helps a ton. Um, so on the weeks I have the kids, you know, I'll go to the office during business hours and then I'll come home and, you know, during the night I spend that time with the kids. And, um, you know, I used to always have a lot of guilt about, you know, taking time away from my kids, um, for a lot of reasons. Um, but I've, I found that, man, when I was, when I'm able to get my work done or at least get progress on that, and then I can go home 
and actually spend several quality hours with the kids where I'm not on my phone and I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to say I'm never on the phone, but like, I'm not just like thinking about work the entire time. When I can do that, I, it just feels so much better and more rewarding to me. And the kids have responded better to it too. Um, so I really try to do that. So it's kind of gets changed week to week. So when I have the kids, I, I don't get as much done work wise. Um, but then on the weeks I don't have the kids, I try to really sprint and get as much done as I can so I can spend more time with them. Um, but I, I think that balance probably doesn't exist. Like I, every, every, every aspect of my life, I've been unbalanced in some way. So when you're, when I was in grad school, I was unbalanced towards school. You know, I was spending more time with school, less with, you know, other stuff and hobbies and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When um, I graduated from school, I was getting ready for a, a bodybuilding show. I was unbalanced towards bodybuilding. When that was done, I really went hard on business for several years. I was unbalanced towards that. Then when my son was born, you know, I, I backed off from everything else. and was more towards that. Then I got really into my powerlifting career and I was more unbalanced towards that. I think what you, you want to strive for, so it's kind of like a tightrope. You ever seen somebody walk a tightrope or a balance beam? Balance beam, because I couldn't walk a tightrope. <laughs> um, you know, you like, you start walking a balance beam and like, you start like going over this way. And so you, you correct, but sometimes when you correct, you end up over this way a little bit. And so you're always walking that balance beam and you're just trying not to fall off. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what most, I think that's the best semblance of balance I can strive for is, um, you know, on the whole, on the overall, did I live a balanced life? Cause I don't, you know, I, I want to be really successful in business. I want to be a, a really good athlete. Um, but I also don't want to get to the end of my life and be like a Steve Jobs who, you know, basically had nobody because, um, you know, he had focused so much on his work that like his family didn't really want to have anything to do with him because he neglected them. I, I don't want to be that, you know, that person. I want to have a good relationship with my kids. Um, you know, that sort of thing. And it's, it's not easy. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's really difficult um, to make those pieces fit. And sometimes that means that, you know, I don't have enough, as much time for those hobbies as I would normally like, but I always tell people, I firmly believe that, you know, we all have the same 24 hours in the day. Don't tell me you don't have the time. Tell me it's not a priority, you know? So, and, and that doesn't like, there's a lot of judgment with that, but there doesn't have to be. Like, for example, somebody says, I, I don't have time to work out. Um, I'm, a, I'm a single mom. I've got three kids, you know, and I work two jobs. Well, you have time to work out, but it's not a priority. And it probably shouldn't be, to be honest, right? right? Now, what I would say to someone in that position is, well, let's see where maybe we can shimmy some, you know, extra time out, you know, because if you're watching Netflix after the kids go down, then, you know, maybe it's not a priority, but maybe you need that time done wide. I'm, again, I'm not being judgmental. You know, every, everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, don't tell me you don't have time. Tell me it's not a priority. And I tell you what, when you start using the words priority, you say it's not a priority versus I don't have time. Eh, boy, it really, it, it'll make you grind your teeth sometimes at some of the stuff you have to say and acknowledge, right? Because mm-hmm. it will change your behavior. I firmly believe that. Absolutely. And I do think everyone needs to reframe that when they say that you just replace the time with the priority and you'll see. Huh? So the last thing I want to talk about with you, Lane, is the thing that really has had the biggest impact on me personally. And for you, like, you know that you're making a difference. And I'm so glad that you do because what 
you have coached me through, I've been able to implement with some of the people I work with. And, you know, the ripple effect is real. And yeah. because of you, so many more women are eating more and, yeah. you know, maintain. And I think, and like, it's so silly to say that, but one of my clients said, I thought I was bitchy. Turns out I was just hungry, Kylie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Imagine that. So like, before we wrap up, briefly, st- did, you, did you come up with the reverse diet? Like, is that a silly question? Uh, no, that's not a silly question. Okay. I, I don't think I came up with the term. Okay. I think somebody else came up with the term. I think I kind of popularized it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just, I noticed, uh, something I kind of noticed consistently was people I had worked with Probably, I probably started noticing around 2008, 2009. People I worked with for competitions who um, worked with me in the off season as well as the competition prep period, it was always so much easier to get them in shape than it was somebody who had come to me from another coach, usually bad coaching. It was much harder with them. But further, um, I also noticed people who had never really dieted before, if it was like their first time prepping or first time really dieting, it seemed like the body fat just fell off them. Whereas people who had like these long histories of dieting, it just seemed like every single gram of body fat loss was a struggle. And um, mostly with women, mostly with women. I think a lot of that boils down to, you know, women are taught to care much more about their appearance from a really young age. You know, I I do, it actually is very heartbreaking because I'll ask like a room when I'm giving a seminar, how old, you know, who, how old were you when you started your first diet? Who was younger than 20? And every woman's hand would go up. Who was younger than 15? And 90% of their hands would go up. Who was younger than 10? And you'll still get several hands that will go up. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of crazy when you start to think about, you know, how many people, how long people have tried to be on a diet. And we know what that does. Not, you know, I think I've, I've emphasized, I'm trying to emphasize less now the physiological effects of that and more the psychological effects of that. Um, because it does, there is research to show that if you chronically diet, it does reduce your metabolic rate and that sort of thing. And, and reverse dieting can help with that. Uh, but also the mental state it puts you in. Um, and, and like you said, like low calories make you crazy, you know? Um, and especially when it's particularly the way it's done, which is a lot of people do really, really aggressive, low calorie diets. They might lose some weight and then they go through periods where they put it back on pretty quickly. And, um, you just end up being a hamster on a wheel and you're just chronically on a diet, which, you know, every time you diet, you're telling your body food is scarce, food is scarce, food is scarce. So when you do this so many times over the course of time, what are you telling your body? Food is scarce. We need to slow our energy expenditure so we can just survive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, reverse dieting was a concept of, well, let's stop telling our bodies that food is scarce but let's do it in a controlled manner to where we bring, you know, calories up slowly so we don't have excessive body fat regain. And we, I've had some pretty good success with it. Now, not, not everybody responds the same, uh, but typically I notice people who are very adherent, um, they get some pretty good results. And, you know, again, uh, I probably got a little dogmatic on it circa, you know, 2014, 2015. And now I've kind of backed off again to where it's, you know, I, like most things, I think it's a, a tool in the toolbox that um, is useful. It's not applicable for everybody, but I think it does have some good application for a lot of people. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we've, we've hit about our, our time limit here and 
Uh, just so you know, I'm super grateful for you. The clients I work with are super grateful for you. Don't stop what you're doing. <laughs> we need you. Oh, no worries. I'm, I'm happy to do it. You know, it's, it's um, something I'm working on right now. We, I actually have a short course on nutrition that's available online now called The Science of Nutrition. And that's a collaboration with the Australian Clean Health Fitness Institute. Um, if you want, I can toss you the link after this is done. Yeah, because um, I have all of your books. Is this yeah, course so, go so through? This be, yeah, it's be an actual course. Uh, and then in the longer term, uh, myself and Bill Campbell are doing a collaboration where we are actually going to come up with a physique coaching certification. And we're going to call it the Physique Coaching Academy. So where if you want to be somebody who coaches people for physique transformations or competitions or whatever, um, this is a, this is a like, much longer course you can take that will teach you what you need to know. Yeah, because I don't know how else you would know that. <laughs> Yeah. You're not learning that yeah. in precision nutrition. You're not learning that in right. whatever so else. Very, very specific. Yeah. So we think we have a cool niche that we can hit and uh, there's nobody better to do it with than Bill Campbell. Um, he's the best in the business in terms of academic who focuses on the science of physique enhancement. So I'm very excited about what we're going to come up with. Awesome. Well, we will put links to all that stuff in the show notes. Enjoy the rest of your, your afternoon, your evening lane. And thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Kylie. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I look forward to bringing you more quality content. If there's anyone you think I should have on the podcast, please send them my way. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.